Welcome to the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast, where we are leading conversations in innovation and the global entrepreneurial mindset. In this podcast series, we are exploring the topic of women in technology and innovation, where we shine a spotlight on the remarkable women entrepreneurs, business and technology leaders who are changing the world through industry and innovation. My name is Samantha Walravens, and I'm an adjunct professor at Lehigh University, as well as a journalist and an author with a passion for supporting and advancing women in their professional and personal lives. For those who don't know, the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center is a collaboration between Lehigh University and the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center in San Francisco. Our mission is to educate, connect, and inspire the next generation of global entrepreneurial leaders. I'm honored and privileged to have two amazing women in technology with me today to speak on the topic. Ari Hori is the founder and CEO of the Women's Startup Lab. So thank you for being here, Ari. Macy Peterson Filitas. Macy is the founder and CEO of a company called On Second Thought, which is a technology company with a patented recall technology that, get this, this is the best ever, that allows senders to recall or take back text messages after they've been sent, but before they hit the recipient. So thank you, Macy, for being here. As I always like to do in these discussions, I want to hear about your startup stories because I always am so impressed with, you know, you can have an idea for a startup to actually execute on that, to actually launch the company and build the company. It's a totally different process than having a great idea for a company. So Macy, I'd love to start with you and ask you about the inspiration for your company on Second Thought. Yeah, so um, I don't know about you guys, but I have sent a number of text messages that I wish I could take back. Um, And it's not that I'm an angry texter or that I send drunk messages. It's just that autocorrect has a vendetta against me. Um, So one day I was, um, one of my ex-boyfriends had been calling me and we'd been broken up for about six months at the time. And I had written to him, hey, for some reason, I keep missing your calls. And autocorrect changed it to, hey, for some reason, I keep missing uh, that certain part of his anatomy that rhymes with calls. <laughs> um, and that's not, yes, I know. <laughs> it, was, it was so embarrassing. And I started slamming my fingers against my phone, trying to get the message back. And of course, that didn't work. Um, and so with that, I thought there has to be a way. There has to be a better way here. And I asked my friends if they'd sent a message they wanted to take back. And all of them said yes. And it turns out that about 71% of Americans have sent messages that they've wanted to uh, undo. And so with that, we, uh, or I, I thought of the idea of On Second Thought. I pitched it at a competition at South by Southwest and won first place for the idea. And from there, I brought in my co-founder and we've been off to the races since then. Wonderful. And Ari, tell me about your background and the inspiration for starting Women's Startup Lab. Sure. Um, I'm originally from Japan. And uh, I grew up in different countries, so I came here hustling to just didn't speak English first, so it's been a long way. And, uh, you know, typical uh, picture you might have is a hoodies, young, ambitious, uh, tech background uh, person starting entrepreneur. Versus my cases, I have been worked at IBM, a number of uh, a big startup uh, as a marketing individual, professional. And I even um, left my career frustrated with this high demand 3 a.m. phone call, let's fix it, sort of demanding a job, and stepped back and I became even a full-time mom at some point and start doing business from home. 
not like scaling or patent, none of that. So just keep exploring it as whatever you can. Um, age of 39, you know, after being a full-time mom, a tech person, taking care of my mom who's been sick uh, with a cancer, I kind of went through some of the life you know, milestone that many women are expected to do that I just kind of took on. Um, and I said, well, why not, instead of going back to the big company, um, I'll start this thing called startup. And I was working on the edge of tech, and I went to one of the big uh, tech conferences and uh, hackathon uh, engineer together, and they picked up maybe five or six greatest idea, and they work on it. And what ended up happening is all women's idea <laughs> was a pitch. It was pretty cool. I understood what family needs or something you're taking care of the uh, sick parents it just mess with the hospital, multiple doctor, multiple nurse, and you yourself and patient. So one of the women stood up and pitched, I'm a 25 years of being a nurse at the Stanford University, I have a solution. And guess what, the whole room was uh, filled with the young guys, and they decided to all have around and work on another dating app, the dating app that rate women at the each bar. In the real time, you can get the number, which bar has the most pretty girls. And whole group went and started working on that. And when I saw this woman who just got out and just really pitching, and she was a, a, a noticeably shaking, she was nervous, and she left the room. And I said, I'll encourage her tomorrow. And she never came back next day. You know, I said, well, why not? Why not? Am I most qualified a person? Probably said no at that time, but it was so important for me to see more women succeed. I said, let's do it together. And so that's kind of how it started. So tell me a little bit, Ari, just to stick with this um, accelerator concept. Can you explain what an accelerator is? And I know there are many of them out there. There's Techstars, there's Y Combinator. What makes Women's Startup Lab different? Yeah, uh, when I started seven years ago here in the Silicon Valley, very competitive, and everybody was bragging about how much little sleep they had, little food they had. And so that was startup culture, is how cool they are, how committed they are. And everybody just to start um, uh, that vouching for that sort of attitude. And meantime, there's a, a number of expert and talented women who also had the other responsibility that made them a better entrepreneur. You know, they have a family, kids, whatever the life experience. And they did not have that sort of lifestyle and attitude. And so often women were categorized that they're not enough, they're not committed enough. Um, also, the whole accelerator system itself was uh, often was a three months long. And you have to leave the house and need to be here in the Silicon Valley. So, you know, system itself wasn't thought through. And so it, it narrowed it down to certain type of entrepreneur who can participate, which then they have a preference. And so often women did not have that opportunity to leave the home and to be here. And therefore, women are not raising hand enough. They're not coming here, hustle, not hustling enough. That was the perception. So I, I realized, no, 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 no. There's a have to be some other way. So start really paying attention what we have currently with Accelerator, the causing women not to participate. So Accelerator is uh, whatever three months or whatever the long 
time, an entrepreneur being selected and they work on their startup. And in our cases, we really have to look at social issue around women, uh, what is the roadblock, the women experience that male entrepreneur might not uh, experience. And then we design our entrepreneurs specifically for that so they can really, really focusing on their startup instead of figuring out and trying to jump through the hoop of a roadblock that, that women have to deal with. So we know that entrepreneurship is hard, and we know the statistic that over 50% of tech startups fail within the first four years. So why did you choose this path? Why didn't you choose an easier path? What was it about entrepreneurship and starting your own company that, was really, that really drove you? Yeah, um, I, I don't know who said it, but I think uh, there was a rapper who said, I didn't choose the game, the game chose me. <laughs> um, and uh, that's that's kind of the way I feel about entrepreneurship. I've always been an entrepreneur, um, even before I necessarily knew the word for it. When I was a little girl, my mom had her own business, and people would ask me, Macy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be a Baskets of Joy lady, um, which is the name of my mom's company. Or when I would get bored, I would set up a car wash in the driveway. I've always looked for ways to make money. Um, And then when I was in college, I started a digital magazine for women of the African diaspora ages 18 to 24. It was actually one of the first digital magazines for, for that demographic, and so I was able to play a role in establishing the KPIs for digital marketing today. And uh, there have been days when I'm like, why did I forego this study paycheck and, and, you know, um, career progression? But what really gets me up every day is one, knowing that I'm living out my purpose and two, that I am fixing problems that people encounter every day. So the the premise of the business today, we started off by enabling you to take back text messages, um, but now our technology is also uh, being used to help people undo payments before they get to the other person. So in the event that you send a payment to the wrong person, you can undo it quickly, which is extremely important when you're looking at developing countries like Morocco or Kenya and, and services like M-Pesa, where once the money leaves the, the phone, it's gone. It's impossible to undo it. And so what gets me up every morning and what energizes me is, one, knowing that I'm living my purpose, but two, that I have the opportunity to serve people in a very unique way every single day. All right, what motivates you? Why did you choose this difficult path of entrepreneurship? Um, I think for me was um, when I lost my mother through cancer, I just had an opportunity to say, wow, life is too short. And what would I do with the rest of my time? Because <laughs> I'm going to go eventually. And to me, the impact was so clear because I can't take the fame. I can't take the money. And unconsciously, I was chasing for that. I just like next thing, next things. And I go, you know what? It, it really doesn't matter. I'm going to die anyway. Way. And it's like, it w- what I can leave is I will make the world a little better place with my skill. And so I started my startup, but when I bump into this women's startup lab things, was started with a uh, meetup. There's a bunch of people get together and help. And then taking to the next level was, you know, the going back to what drove you, which is a mission. And instead of me trying to make my company successful, what if I can make thousands and thousands of women successful because of what we have created together? You know, I'll be happy to be gone to the next phase of my life. And so, you know, it it is hard. Um, You know, some people is lucky to have an idea that take off right away. You know, unique enough to have uh, IP and the markets there. Some others' idea is a very, very hard to stick, um, and you need the courage to let go 
and not to be married to idea. And really focusing on not the idea, the startup you have, but what is the problem you're you know, trying to solve. Yeah, and, 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 and passion, and, and you know, for me it was impact. So, I mean, I could literally, I don't know, clean the floor thinking I can prevent other people sleeping the floor, and I think that's impact. I will do it with a full heart, Lily. So it's, it's your choice to do what uh, turns you on and call it it's worth you know, your life to give for and to work on. And, and making sure whatever you create is, is adding value and serving that. And so, you know, don't be afraid to let go of your idea. Don't be afraid to fail because you're not failing. You're just letting go to grab the next one. And I've done several startup idea, and the one is stick. Oh, my gosh, so much easier. And you're having a hard time means it's not just to grit and do it more, but there is a part that it's just not resonating. So you can improve your story, but also market it might not be there as well. Well, that brings up the idea of the pivot, mm -hmm. which I don't think we talk enough about in the entrepreneurial world, which is, uh, you know, you have an idea, as you said, Ari, and you start it and you're going full force on launching that company. And then maybe you do launch the company and it's not working. The product, or there's the product market, the market fit is not there. The people aren't buying it. Can you talk a little bit about what pivoting means in the startup world and have you had to pivot? And if so, can you describe how? Yeah, you can start. Um, so I was going to say, uh, Ari, your advice there was spot on. Um, be dedicated to solving the problem, not to the product or the solution that you have come up with. Um, for us, we've pivoted at least once. We're in, about to do another pivot, which is kind of a hybrid of where we've been and where we are now. Um, but it's so important to listen to your customers. It's so important to listen to the market because they will tell you exactly what they need. And at the end of the day, our job as entrepreneurs is to provide the market with uh, solutions to their needs. It's to help them fix their needs. It's um, not for us to sit in a silo and decide, like, I think this product's really cool. Let's put it out there. I mean, there have been so many instances, even with work that um, my team has done, where we've released something to the market and they're like, yeah, this is great, but like, we need this. Or no, we don't need this at all. Um, and it's important to have that humility and knowing that, no, I don't know everything, but our customers are going to be very honest all the time. And so um, just kind of, I would, I would encourage you to listen to the market, have those tough conversations uh, with customers or potential customers because they'll be able to not only tell you what they need, but in some cases they'll also co-create the solution with you. Um, that, and that can turn into your first customer um, and, and your first win that you can then leverage uh, with other companies and customers as well. Ari, any pivots in your yeah, experience? Um, I, I realized that the cur uh, whole s accelerator model was a three months. And I felt when I started, I have to at least have three months to make it worth. But then entrepreneur doesn't have to show up every single day, three months. Um, I designed that. And then it just, uh, again, my gut was right, but I didn't listen. And so we decided to shorten the program to two weeks. And I said, nobody will come to two weeks program. And I said, no, but there gotta be a way. Two weeks, but it's have to be, we're not compromising a quality. And my team, 
turned around and said, if we work so hard on three months, and if you're going to go two weeks, we all going to quit. <laughs> and team was just really upset. And I said, look, it's not what you think. It's not what I say. My voice is a reflection of what our entrepreneurs say. And then we do two weeks, and then we fail miserably, then quit. But don't quit based on your imaginary thoughts. And I have imaginary thoughts that two weeks going to work. Well, we have to make it work. But don't jump into conclusion. Let's do it, right? So part of a pivot is you guessing something, and you go in it. It could be failure it could be success or it's something in between so our case is it was we were faced with the challenges you know losing a team was kind of scary um, but you know we went on and with that um, instead of just um, getting together and learning together uh, we bought the house we have a house uh, so two weeks female entrepreneur live together you know breakfast they're talking about their startup uh, lunchtime they are um, you know, supporting each other for the better idea, uh, marketing idea, um, improving their the pitches. Uh, our advisor, uh, they come in, they say, oh, I'm so busy, uh, I'm going to speak to you one hour. And they ended up staying four hours. <laughs> <laughs> because the house environment, because the food, living environment. So we knew that if we design... Um, immersive program will be much much impactful and the relationship what that's what moved the business beyond just a good idea that's what separate great company that doesn't stick and disappear versus a great company then it gets to the next phase is the relationship they built so uh, women startup lab became really focusing on not just accelerator here tinker your startup but we start focusing on what really the secret underneath of it, even more deeper. And it, we found that relationship that, that you built, that other people opened up the door that made a huge difference and create a next phase of attraction. And so that's what we like scientifically analyze it and bring that sort of relationship and give it to the entrepreneur. So that's the pivot that we did. And I just want to chime in. Ari, I think your point about your gut is so important and trusting it and listening to it. It's something that um, I have been challenging myself to really pay attention to and trust because I've realized um, over the course of the five years that I've had on Second Thought, your gut's never gonna lie to you. It's, it's always accurate, it's always right. And I can think of multiple times throughout my journey on, on Second Thought where when I did not trust my gut and I ended up needing to deal with the ramifications and sometimes they're very expensive, <laughs> both in time and money. Um, and so I just, as Ari said, uh, and, and when she was talking about um, trusting the pivot, really just trusting your gut um, because it, it, it won't lead you down a bad path. So we talked about some of the key ingredients for success in the startup world. One, are you mentioned courage, building relationships. What would you say are some of the other factors for success? And are you seeing hundreds of companies go through your startup lab? Maybe you can talk to some of the things that you see that are consistent among the successful companies. Many of you might think that the successful leader look very charismatic, articulate, talk well, look good, walk well, whatever you might imagine. You know, typical media things. The truth is, 
the entrepreneurship is managerial leadership. It is a visionary leadership. And when you are a visionary leader, you could be as introvert, as quirky, as kind of like shut down sort of personality as anything is okay. But you have to be good at something that nobody can take it away. And even if other people don't understand you, you need to know that you got something. And maybe, you know, a society will never realize how talented you are. But the visionary leadership begins with you saying, I got something. And let me tell you, and without this, you are missing out. And you might not be the most articulate person, then you have a co-founder who are great at articulating. You can have technologists in the team that get your vision and productize it. So never put yourself in a position as if you're not good enough. You are good enough, but it's your most important job is finding that most quirky uniqueness that you have and your job is to become the biggest cheerleader and amplify it and with that people who sees it around the world whether through youtube or whatever mediums are available and the right people will come to you and that's the visionary leader and you having that is the most important things on that note, how do you build out a team? I, I remember when I visited the Hito house a few years ago, there was a, two co-founders who were having, it was almost like a marital issue. Like the, the two co-founders were fighting all the time. And there was actually a therapist, Silicon Valley, who helps co-founders with their relationship. So how do you go about building your team and finding people you can trust, you can work with, who will help you build and scale your business? For me, it's kind of to Ari's point, it's come through my relationships. Um, so my co-founder is a good friend of mine from college, um, Stuart, and we'd been friends for probably about seven or eight years at, by the point or by the time we actually founded on Second Thought. Um, but then as we've grown our team, brought on advisors as well as developers, um, that's all come from within our network. Um, so whether it's our investors who have recommended people, um, our advisors who have recommended people, um, or just um, within our, our personal networks of people we've known from college or throughout life, um, pretty much everyone uh, has been part of our existing circle, except for, I would say, maybe two people. Um, and for them, we, we found them on LinkedIn, actually. Um, but when we hire, um, we do set up kind of a probationary period where we think of it as an opportunity for them to figure out if they like us and if they enjoy the work and working with us and being on the team, but it's also for us to evaluate and assess um, if they're a good fit for our team. Um, and I'm really, I've always been really thankful for that period um, because you learn so much in that period of time. Um, you learn how the person uh, responds to feedback. You learn how uh, if they're if they are able to stay on task and reach their goals, and how communicative how communicative they are. Um, the other thing uh, that I would encourage is when issuing equity to employees, um, or even uh, bringing someone else on as a co-founder, is having a cliff for when uh, the equity triggers. Um, and we tend to put people on a one-year cliff because anyone can be great for, I mean, not anyone can be great for three months, but many people can be great for three months, but you really need to see how they are 
um, for an entire year and how dedicated they are. And only after that point uh, should the shares truly be issued to them. Another big issue with a startup life is fundraising. I think it's 2 to 3%, a little less than 3% of venture capital dollars go to female founders. Now, that number has risen over the past couple of years, but it's still a very small chunk of the total billions of dollars that go to founders. Can you talk a little bit about your fundraising experience? Where have you gone? Why is it that female founders are not getting more of the VC pie? And what can we do to change this? There's, first of all, seven years ago when I started, there wasn't much um, women-focused fund. These days, there's a number of venture capitalists that are trying to do that. Now, the amount of the, the raise, the venture capitalist raise for women fund are significantly still smaller. Uh, but to say that the, the market have changed. There's a lot more active focus on a women entrepreneur, so that's great. Uh, the number haven't really increased. Uh, less than 3% of uh, venture money is go still going to women startup, which is very li limited. Um, is it going up? Uh, Answer is yes. Um, and there's, it's not a one problem to solve. 93% um, of a venture capitalists here in the Silicon Valley is a men. And even if, even us, right, no matter how kind and thoughtful, uh, empathetic and smart we can be, we can't guess everything, people who are in the wheelchairs, their needs. We have a limitation to imagine for that. It's the same thing if 93% of people who are really um, spearheading and change and, and leading innovation, they're all men. They will, no matter how much they think they're smart, they will miss out and not be able to understand the needs uh, of what half of our populations of women's entrepreneurs. So um, having that um, more female uh, venture capitalist is uh, really important. So obviously you can't change that per se and conversation become what can you do as an entrepreneur. Um, it is really important to uh, build your team Build your advisor that who gets it. 25% um, higher on startup that has women on their board. Um, it's not the women are uh, needs to learn to have more leadership. It's just we express and we concern things differently. So you ended up having a board that are all men. You ended up fighting on things that you know, one other female board member can get it. So making sure that your board member are uh, well represented. Um, when you have early stage startup, uh, you have a number of the advisor you're gonna choose. Uh, make sure, um, you know, there's a women advisor, but the male ally that have worked with a woman entrepreneur. Um, and maybe some of the uh, male advisor that are the very much in I wouldn't say necessarily boys club, but they are in that circle and be able to vouch for you. And so, you know, don't just think about um, what I need for startup and PhD of this uh, expertise and just thinking about startup, but like strategically, what kind of help you need as female entrepreneurs is really, really important. Um, one of the uh, very successful entrepreneurs, her name is uh, Jackie Baumgarten, uh, founder and CEO of uh, Boat setter. She raised about thirty-one million uh, by now, and I remember f even from uh, seed round, she knew what she had to have. So she went to get the board member of the biggest magazine for the boat industry, 
manufacturer's uh, CEO to be on the board. Uh, she went to Florida and who has the most powerful um, influence in that industry. So she really look at who's playing out in the industry and then make sure that she had those. And so I think those strategic things are very important. And then they start working really hard to get funding for her. So it's not like you working hard, but work smart to raise funds. And I think it's a little nuanced for black women. So about, it's point, I think it's 0.0006% of venture funding goes to black female founders. Um, and I think at this point, there are still less than 50 of us who have raised over a million dollars in funding. And so it's to say it's hard is, is an understatement. Um, but for us in our journey, a lot of our, our financing came from friends and family. So we were able to raise a little over 150000 to get things started from our friends and family. And pitch competitions were so valuable. Uh, we brought in about sixty to 70000 from pitch competition earnings. And then angels and micro VCs, and especially as more uh, funds have been raised for or funds have been announced for that are focused on women uh, as well as uh, entrepreneurs of color or just entrepreneurs from underrepresented backgrounds. That, of course, gets and becomes easier. But we, we have this conversation all the time about how hard it is for black women to raise uh, money. And and we all know that pattern matching happens. It's, it's no secret. And it's also something that we just have to cope with. Um, and so with that in mind, um, I decided to launch an initiative called I Look Like an Investor to encourage black women to start seeing themselves as investors, uh, whether they be angels or VCs or corporate VCs, so that if the game is pattern matching, let's make sure that we can play that game. And as a result of this programming, um, I know of at least two women who have become new investors. Uh, and so one woman became an LP. But the whole goal of this is so that when uh, other entrepreneurs who look and feel like me uh, or when I'm, you know, raising subsequent rounds, instead of needing to go to Sand Hill Road and, and face, you know, the 97% of men, um, that we can go to this community and, and walk away with funding from women who look and feel like us. That's fantastic. I want to ask you lastly, because um, we could talk about this for hours, not all of us are cut out to be entrepreneurs, but we can all have an entrepreneurial mindset. Mark Benioff's recent book talks about having a learner's mindset, which I just loved. It's always being open to learning new things, regardless of where you are in your life, always be learning. But can you talk a little bit about what, what it means to have an entrepreneurial mindset in whatever career path or path you take in life? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so I also uh, work with a number of corporate executives, and um, they talk about innovation, and often they approach as a knowledge. And innovation and entrepreneur mindset is the mindset always questioning. Does it have to be this way? And without challenging your mindset or belief, your OS operating system, your brain, <laughs> will sit there from what we got from society, what we got from our parents, what we got from whatever the city you live in. So, uh, you know, what we focusing on is begins with your mindset, just questioning everything. And within it, find something that just get you excited and see from there is that you can turn it into something that it's valuable for other people. Because if you can be excited about about it, but it, you don't turn it into something that people are willing to pay. 
um, I think many of entrepreneurs um, forget it's nice to have idea versus must have idea. It's a completely different thing. So, you know, at work as well, whether you're going to be entrepreneur or not, uh, know something that you're excited about and create a value is, I think, um, and just being always on the edge. Thank you for joining the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast content. To learn more about us, go to nasdaqcenter.lehigh.edu or follow us on Instagram at Lehigh NASDAQ Center. Thank you.